this particular Sunday school lesson is going to be a little random as far as kind of some of the subject matter that we cover. Um, first off, we're going to, I'm going to show you a, a few videos from one of the places I went to when I was in Israel. Uh, you definitely haven't seen any of these particular videos yet. Uh, I've, I haven't done anything with them. I really, when we went to this particular place, I didn't know anything about it. Brother Paul had uh, suggested it. He was wanting to go there. And so we went there. We saw a lot of stuff. We didn't have a tour guide. I, and so I didn't know a whole lot about the place before I went there. Uh, learned some things while I was there. Learned some things after I came home and was reading about it, which made it a little cooler. Uh, if, you know, if I'd have known what I was looking at, I would have probably enjoyed it even more. But at the same time, too, this is one of those places where I've not done an in-depth study as to how legit the claims are that they make about this place. I'm a little skeptical. It's one of these places where something smells funny. Uh, but at the same time, um, we're gonna, I'll show you some videos of this location, and we're going to talk about the biblical events that took place here. And, I'm, and uh, there's a few lessons that we can learn from this. But the first part, Scripture, I want to read to you is Genesis 14. In verse 14, it says, And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Ahoba, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods, the women also, and the people. So notice when uh, Abraham is pursuing this army that they go to Dan. That's the city that they go to. And I want you to keep that, I want you to keep that in mind. And so uh, the first video I want to show you, this is of what's known as it's, uh, called the Canaanite Gate. And many people believe that... Uh, Apparently, this dates back to the time of Abraham. It was pretty recently it was discovered. You know, it was all, all covered up, but it's still pretty well preserved. Um, you're going to notice like a doorway, and in that doorway, it's like filled in. They, it used to be open, but they filled it in just to kind of help preserve everything. They built a canopy over it, just kind of keep the elements from destroying it. But um, if this does date back that long, and Abraham went to this place, this very well could be a gate that Abraham himself even went through so it's kind of neat to think about that but um so you, you can see it right there but this is what's known as a canaanite gate so that's all filled in that was open but supposedly this dates back uh four thousand years and this area that we're at this is in the northern part of israel uh known as dan and um dan was the northernmost tribe and that's why you often hear in the bible from Dan even to Beersheba, just kind of uh, showing the borders. I don't know what the fake owl was up there for, uh, but I felt the need to video it and uh, just in case it meant something. I, I don't know what that was all about, but pretty cool, uh, pretty cool location there. Uh, we'll stop right there. So now let me ask you all a question. That was the city of Dan. The Bible says that Abraham pursued them to Dan. Can anybody think of a problem with that? Exactly. Dan wasn't even born yet. Okay. Dan is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so you say, well, it was a different Dan. No, not necessarily. One thing I, I pointed, I pointed this out a long time ago in a few areas 
back when we were going through Genesis, but sometimes in Genesis, when it tells you the name of a place where something happened, it doesn't give the ancient name. It, it was given the present day name. Uh, that, and be, that way, uh, you know, the books of Moses, they were uh, given to the children of Israel just as they're about to cross over into Jordan just before Moses died. So whenever they were writing these things, they would, they would use the modern day names. But uh, that's, it's an, that's an interesting thing, though, because if that's what it's doing right here, Okay, I guess if, if somebody wants to argue with me that, well, this is probably just another Dan, it was already named Dan, well, I kind of doubt it, but that actually creates another question and another problem because, first off, um, look at what it says in uh, Joshua 19 and verse 47. It says, And the coast of the children of Dan went out too little for them, Therefore, the children of Dan went up to fight against Lashem and took it and smote it with the edge of the sword and possessed it and dwelt therein and called Lashem Dan after the name of Dan, their father. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families, these cities with their villages. So Lashem was the ancient name of the place. And then after the tribe of Dan took it over, then they named it Dan. Now, can anybody think of another problem that this kind of creates here. Right, I'm going to let you think about that. I, want to, I do want to show this video, though, because I believe, yeah, right there, the sign here uh, it's, it has the verse of Joshua 19, uh, 48 that we just read, showing that this is the ancient city of Lashem that was taken over by the tribe of Dan and called Dan. And you'll notice, I mean, these are pretty well-preserved walls and things. I mean, if we're going back that far, especially compared to a lot of other things, that's why I kind of have questions and suspicions about the dates of some of these places because some of the stuff in here is pretty well-preserved and um, there's a lot of other stuff that's supposed to be a lot older that doesn't look as good as this stuff. So, I don't know. I, I've not done a lot of study in this area uh, I don't know a whole lot about it, but all this area we're at, it's known as Dan. Now, these city walls that are built, too, they would have come long after the time that Dan took it over. But a lot of the stuff here, they actually date to be uh, from around the time of King Jeroboam, who was a contemporary with Solomon. Whenever the kingdom split, uh, and Jeroboam became king of the northern tribes, and this is where they believe he set up uh, his his kingdom. So this is where uh, Jeroboam would have ruled from. And also, uh, we're going to read about it here in a little bit. This is where uh, Jeroboam built a high place uh, to the gods. Because if you remember, he made two golden calves and he put uh, one in Dan and I believe the other one in Bethel, which was kind of on the, which wasn't far from Jerusalem, but was kind of on the southern end of the northern kingdom border. And he did that, and we'll, we'll talk about why he did that in a little bit. But this is pretty much me walking through there, just showing everything. And again, some of this stuff, it is. If it's that old, this is pretty well-preserved stuff. But um, again, I don't know how they found all this. Don't know a whole lot about that history. But i um, not sure how long this video goes. But can anybody think of why that's a problem, what we just read in Joshua 19... 47, explaining how that's when they named the city of Lashem Dan. 
That's after Moses. Okay? And so here's something, here's something else to think about. Okay? And I, I've, I've been suspicious about this before. I just didn't really know how to figure it out or uh, didn't spend a whole, whole lot of time thinking about it. But whenever I think about the books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, I picture they are what Moses wrote down and what Moses had them place in the Ark of the Covenant. In Deuteronomy 34, but at the same time, too, I've always had this one question. Who wrote Deuteronomy 34? Because Deuteronomy 34, 5 says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Moses write about that? And then people say, well, you know, somebody probably finished it for him. But it says, And he has buried him in the valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulchre unto this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. So, again, the big question is, are the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy exactly the same as what was placed in the Ark of the Covenant? Because Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 31.25 says that Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, take this book of the law and put it in the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. For I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck, and behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, ye have been rebellious against the Lord, and how much more after my death. Gather unto me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears, and call heaven and earth to record against them. For I know that after my death you will utterly corrupt yourselves and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days, because ye will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. And Moses spake in the ears of all the congregation of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. So basically what we're seeing and what I believe we have with the books of Moses is obviously all the laws that are mentioned there, those things were written down by Moses. But Genesis through Deuteronomy, it's not just the law. It's also history too. It's telling stories. In there, it's it's giving us the stories, it's giving us the details, it's giving us the history. And so, whenever it says, "And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying," you know, Moses didn't write that down because Moses and the Lord spake me saying. But no, when it says, "And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying," then all those things you're reading there, that was exactly what Moses would have penned down that God gave to him. So, when we're reading Exodus through Deuteronomy. You know, we are. We're reading the law. We're reading the things that Moses wrote. But in addition to that, we are reading the history like we see in Joshua through Second Chronicles and, you know, and even Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and things like that. And again, and if that sounds weird, well, that's, what do you mean it's not exactly what Moses put in the Ark of the Covenant? Well, because obviously they put the law in the Ark of the Covenant before a lot of different things happened. In fact, Deuteronomy... It means second law. So none of that was probably written yet. But, it, but at the same time, too, it's kind of repeating a lot of things in Deuteronomy. It's repeating a lot of those laws in there. So obviously all those laws that are mentioned in there would have been placed in that ark, but not necessarily all the historical stuff. And, said, and if that makes you uncomfortable, think about it that way. Well, remember in Jeremiah verse, chapter 36, verse 27, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burned the roll... And the words which Barak wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again another roll, and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim the king of Judah had burned, 
And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast burned this roll, saying, Why hast thou written therein? Saying, The king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land, and shall cause to cease from thence man and beast. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, He shall have none to sit upon the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out in the day to the heat, and in the night to the frost. And I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah all the evil that I have pronounced against them, but they hearken not. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Barak the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim king of Judah had burned in the fire. And there were added besides unto them many like words. So obviously the original writing of the word of God there got destroyed. But then it got rewritten and things were added to it. And those things were also part of the Word of God. And so uh, we see that same thing in the books of Moses. We have all the things that Moses wrote. But God also had some things added. He had the history added. And so these things you know, are, in fact, the Word of God. But I say all that to say that if you were to find the Ark of the Covenant... And you were to read, if you were to find the books of the law in there and you were able to read the ancient Hebrew, it's not going to have, it's not going to be like word for word the same because the history stuff probably wouldn't be in there. Just the laws would be in there. So you're not going to read anything where it says, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying. But all the things that God said to Moses, those would all be written in there. So just an interesting rabbit trail that I kind of went down while I was studying this. Uh, about this location here in Dan. And so now kind of back to the main subject at hand. While very little is said about the city that we've been showing, and not much is even said about the tribe of Dan, again, it is often referred to because it was the northernmost tribe. And it was, and so its borders often mentioned. But there is one notable story that I want us to look at, and that's in 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 25. And this is the story of Jeroboam. And it says, uh, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt there and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me, and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, Is it too much for you to go up to Jerusalem? Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And watch this. And he offered upon the altar, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places, which he had made. So he offered upon the altar, which he had made in Bethel, in the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. So he offered upon the altar and burned incense. So 
there's two different locations being referred to. There's the Bethel location. That one, that's the one that's closer to Jerusalem, kind of on the southern end of the northern kingdom. But the, uh, the, in Dan, he also built the same thing. And that's where we're at in these videos. We're at the location in Dan. And you'll notice the altar that is referred to. Now, supposedly, they have the spot where they believe that the altar was. Now, the altar is gone, as it should be, because in Second Kings 23.7, it says, And he brake down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the grove. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. And he brake down the high places of the gates that were in the entering end of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on a man's left hand as the gate of a city. And this was, uh, in, uh, this was when Josiah was king. And while most of these things he referred to were there closer to Jerusalem, though he refers to the high places that were destroyed. And so it was believed that the high place that we're about to look at, it was destroyed by Josiah. So it's not there. So they kind of have this metal, you'll see this metal frame that's supposed to kind of give you an idea of where it would have been and what it would have, what it would have looked like. And so, um, yeah, so this, wait a minute, that's not the right video, is it? Hang on, I think we went to the wrong video. Let's try this one. Uh, maybe I got them out of order. No, no. Well, stink. I might, I might have done the wrong. I'll let that one play. Did you see on that one? I wasn't watching it. Did it show a part where there was like a metal frame sticking up in there? Uh, I might have forgot. You know what? I actually have a picture of it. Let's go to the pictures. Let's go to the picture. I know I, I wasn't. I know. And this was one of those things when I was there. I took a picture of it, but I did not know what I was. I just saw there was a lot of people there. There was a tour guide there. And, uh, and so I took a picture of it in case it was something cool. But yeah, so let's go to, there it is. So yeah, right here is where they believe that Jeroboam built the altar. They say that's, this was a part of the altar which these stones are in pretty good shape too and pretty big, but I don't know. But then they had an altar built up like that right there. And man, I'm having all kinds of problems with this today. This is just not cooperating for me. But yeah, so th but apparently this is kind of what these altars look like. And so then they would have had a golden calf up there. So they did that to kind of give you perspective without actually building an altar to a false god and putting a golden calf on there, which I think would be inappropriate, <laughs> especially. Uh, so, but at the same time, this is probably where that event took place. And so there's an important lesson here that we can kind of learn from this here, that um, sometimes I think, you know, in our New Testament era, we don't think about this a whole lot. But something that Jeroboam understood very much back then is that where one worships, affects where their heart is and how they feel about that place. Jeroboam was terrified at the thought of the people from his kingdom all going to Jerusalem to worship, which is exactly what they should have done. That was where they were supposed to worship. That was where the temple was. That's where the Levites were. 
And notice, too, how once you compromise, okay, people get mad about when you start talking about slippery slopes and things. But as soon as he compromised about the place of worship, he immediately goes to and that he compromised on who the priest should be. The Bible is very clear about who the priest should be. They had a history. Remember when we went through Judges, the things that happened when people who weren't supposed to be priests were being priests. This was a very wicked thing. But because of the fact he's already decided, I can't let the people go to Jerusalem like they're supposed to because that will create problems for me. Their hearts will be towards Jerusalem and that won't do me well. So what does he do? He compromises on the place. Well, I've got to have priests, but I can't have Levites because Levites aren't going to go here. So what does he do? He has to make the lowest of the people. You know why? Because good people aren't going to be a priest. They'd be like, we're not, we're not the right tribe. So you know what you got to do? You've got to go find the worst of the worst. That's why, too, so many, like the United Methodists, they're, they're probably one of the worst compromising churches that are out there today. But, you know, who typically are their preachers anymore? Who typically are their pastors anymore? Lesbians. Homos. Why? Because they have gotten so far from anything that's biblical, no decent person no decent man of god no even unsaved man who is just deceived in his heart and wants to do right is going to want to be a pastor united methodist church so who do they get sodomites the lowest of the low because that's what happens when you make compromises like that and then of course if you put a bunch of sodomites if you get the lowest of the low in charge they're not interested in the god of israel you know what they're going to do? They are going to introduce their own gods. And what do they do? They bring back the gods of Egypt. A golden calf. Didn't matter that God had punished them before. And we're constantly hearing more and more stories about just some of the most wicked abominations happening in churches today. And again, it's usually rainbow flag churches where we see that kind of thing going on. And so it is, it's, it's a big deal to compromise on these things. And and so Jeroboam, he understood these people's hearts are going, to, are going to change if they do that. So he started making those compromises. Now today, where do we typically see the compromise start? It pretty much, it almost always starts here. You know, the King James, you know, the King James Bible is one area. Another area where you might start seeing it slip is just they'll, when they start changing on the music and the dress. It's a lot of those outward things and kind of how they worship then again, when you start going, doing that, at some point you got to get rid of this because the King James Bible is just going to not let you enjoy your compromise. It's not going to let you enjoy your wickedness. But then you get the false doctrines that start coming in. You get Calvinism that starts coming in. You, know, you get just you know, people turning the grace of God into lasciviousness that comes in. You get all kinds of horrible things. And, um, and understand our worship is something that, you know, ultimately to today, while we are not about places and things, while it's not about the building, and there's nothing wrong with having nice buildings and having places that kind of, uh, that are, you know, you know, that you use exclusively for worship purposes, religious purposes. While it's not about that, something very important that did change in the New Testament, in John 4.20, remember when Jesus is talking to the woman of Samaria, and the Samaritans, okay? And understand, the northern kingdom here, 
they, they are the ones that eventually kind of became the Samaritans. And uh, that's eventually what happened to them as a result of that. And uh, Jesus is speaking, this is hundreds of years later, but uh, the woman of Samaria said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And that was true. Jerusalem was where they were supposed to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And the Samaritans did. They, their you know, way of life in the Bible uh, doesn't tell us a whole lot about what was going on in the New Testament during their time. But it's very clear it was miles and miles away from what God had ordained. And, and the Bible, too, tells us more of that history. Because, again, while that northern kingdom eventually got taken captive by the Assyrians, uh, if you remember, I forgot, I, I forgot where it is in the Bible, but when um, whoever the Assyrian king was, his name is escaping my mind right now. It might have been Sennacherib. I can't remember. But they went and they put, or when the Babylonians came in, they put a lot of those Assyrians in that uh, northern kingdom area. And then they started getting cursed. All these bad things started happening. So they feared God. And they wanted to worship God. But then what they ended up doing is they, they kind of came up with their own version of Judaism. And you know God did not really bless that. And that their own version of Judaism you know, eventually morphed in to what was going on here in Samaria. And notice, Jesus did not recognize it. While Jesus loved this Samaritan woman, he did not recognize her worship. He did not honor it. He did not respect it. He told her, you don't even know what you're worshiping. And, and you know, but he did tell her, though, that the time was coming where we're not going to say it's in this mountain. Because God uh, says, but the hour cometh when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so understand, you know, while back then under that old covenant system, there were, there were a lot of rules, a lot of regulations. Again, when it came to the priests, a lot of rules had to be from the tribe of Levi. There was a location, all that stuff. Jesus Christ removed all those things. But understand, when he removed those things, he didn't create a free-for-all. He didn't create a free-for-all where we can have stuff like the United Methodist Church, where we can have churches where we are ordaining women preachers when the New Testament specifically forbids us from doing that kind of thing. It's, it's not a free-for-all. But at the same time, too, we, ought, we do have, there is a liberty that we have. And we're able to worship God anywhere, which is a huge blessing. I'm glad that we don't have to travel to places like Jerusalem. And God wants us to do that. You know why? Because when it comes to our worship, that's where our heart is. And God wants our hearts to be towards Christ. That's what, that's what he wants. And if we keep our focus on Christ then we're going to be in a good situation. But understand, too, God not only wants us to worship Him in spirit, but also in truth as well. And so these churches, too, that kind of have these free-for-alls and are just throwing out things that the Apostle Paul commanded for the church, 
they're not worshiping him in truth. And if you're not worshiping him in truth, you're not worshiping him in spirit either. And so we've got to have both of these things. And so just a little lesson we can kind of learn from Jeroboam. Jeroboam, he understood how worship affects the heart. And we need to understand that our hearts are supposed to be towards Christ. It's okay for you to love this place. You know, I, we just went back to Lighthouse last week for the 35th anniversary. I love that place. The Lord did a lot of great things in my life there. But at, at the end of the day, you know, I should be more about the one that they taught me about there, about Jesus Christ, than I am about a location. You know, we, and I, I'm glad, I'm thankful for our old building. I've got a lot of good memories there. Um, but at the same time, too, I'm glad we weren't so married to that location that we weren't able to move you know, to something better. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the buildings. It's about Jesus Christ. And so we always need to make sure we do whatever we have to do to keep our hearts towards Him. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for the lesson, uh, this lesson, Lord. I pray to help us to learn from it. I pray to help us to uh, worship You in spirit and in truth and to do things in our life to just keep our hearts towards You like we're supposed to. And we won't get uh, our hearts turned towards the things of the world that help us not.